The Southern Fried Witch. And today I'm thinking so hard about pests in my garden, and that would be because it is quickly becoming summer here. <laughs> A little early, at least the temperatures are, and the pests have begun. I'm also getting a lot of questions about what to do about those, and uh, especially if we're pagan and organic and trying not to harm or pollinators in any way. And so I did want to talk about it today. And as usual, it will lead into a magical quandary for me. But let's just talk about it. Y'all know this question first was posed to me the other night while we were doing all of that propagation work. And on one of my roses, there were a few black spots. The dreaded black spot of roses and they were asking me what to do about that or whether or not they could even use that arm for propagation. I don't usually. No, I want new growth. I want healthy growth. And I was answering the question, but it brought to mind so many other moments I suppose I've had when I was training as a master gardener and and things like that. Because most folks are going to have a standard answer you on things like this. But I had a mentor who I will not name, who was, I reckon, a little bit more pragmatic about the situation. And things like this, for instance, Rose Blackspot, she was pretty clear with me about what to do here. And while we can put a lot of things in place to kind of slow down Mother Nature, at the end of the day, her answer Well, it was that not much. (laughs) There's not much we can do. I mean, it exists in the soil. It is a fungus. And unless you are pouring toxic chemicals all over your rose bush, making sure that nothing else can hardly grow on it. Well, maybe you could have a fungus-free, gorgeous rose. Even here in Alabama, it is quite possible. The reason that's not an option for me is, well, always number one, the pollinators. I have so many wonderful pollinators that are going to land on those roses. And I don't want there to be any deadly chemical that's literally meant to kill almost everything to be on their feet, to be in their pollen, to be anywhere near them. I'm also not a fan of it going into my ground. You know, when I think about that living soil and I think about pouring something like this into it, it doesn't hit well. And then, of course, there are the more, I suppose, selfish reasons that I wouldn't want to do that. And that's because I actually eat my roses. (laughs) They're related to the apple blossom and they're delightful and they make a wonderful tea. And so I don't want to eat poison if I can help it and also we have a well here on the property and we care very much about what's going into that water 
because that is the water that feeds our chickens and our rabbits and our cats and dogs and ourselves. So we're not really interested in ruining the quality of our water. And uh, where I live, it's uh, considered subtropical. And the humidity here is going to, it's going to assure we get it eventually anyway. So what do I do? Well, you know, I keep good preventative measures in place. And I think that counts for anything that you're dealing with out there in your farm or garden. And we'll get to how that relates to the craft, by the way. And that's making sure I'm removing some of those interior arms of my roses, making sure there's no cross arms and lots of good ventilation and airflow in there. I'm keeping them trimmed. They're about to get a heavy trim, actually. I'm not handling them when they're wet. And I have a secret weapon. So whenever there's any new growth on my roses, or quite honestly, a lot of other things in my garden, like my cucumbers, my melons, anything that could get powdery mildew, all of those little mildews and fungi. There's an old recipe, and I forget why it works. There's some kind of really good, there's an enzyme, I believe. Anyway, it's um, one part milk to 10 parts water, and it's imperative to use whole milk, not non-fat. Although there has been some research done on dry whole milk. Anyway, I'll attach all that in my episode notes so you can go look it up because research is critical. But anyway, the worst thing that's going to happen if you go this route is you might end up with a few little white spots and that is from the milk. (laughs) And that doesn't ruin the look of anything for me. But y'all, just because something is natural and organic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Or I think the better word would be safe. It doesn't mean that at all. Without doing our research, we're just ticking time bombs, y'all. We're going to walk into all kinds of mess, all kinds of shit and shinola, and we do not want that. Y'all know recently I've completely, well, it's not recently. I reckon it's about two, three years now, but I've completely given up my neem oil. I don't know how to dispose of it properly, so I don't know what I'll do. I'll probably give it away. You know, the UK actually banned neem oil altogether. They did. There's just been too many studies on this that can lead to concern, especially for pregnant women for women who are trying to conceive, and for little kids, it's not safe. You know, it's really considered mildly toxic or not likely to be, but that doesn't mean it's not. And, you know, that alone was a reason for me to walk away. And it's a natural product. It's from a beautiful plant. It's imported, but, you know... Let's not get off on that issue. But most organic gardeners that I've heard of anyway are using neem. It's so effective. I mean, it's going to work, honey. But what they're not telling us or what they don't want us to know, what the U.S. is keeping kind of quiet, is that it does actually injure some of our pollinators quite a bit. And all y'all have to do is go look at a little bit of research from folks who work with bee colonies, you know, or farm bees. And you're going to, well, you might still find a few folks trying to claim it. It's going to be okay. 
But a lot of the studies are showing that this stuff is acutely toxic to immature ones, including larvae. And it's been shown to actually reduce the larvae population in colonies. It's also moderately toxic to aquatic life. And we have a pond that is not our pond at all, but we care about it. Um, That's downhill from us. And that would mean that a lot of our runoff could really impact all that aquatic life. And y'all, I don't know how you feel, but if something is moderately toxic to, I don't know, turtles, fish, baby bees, I'm, I'm sorry. And definitely a concern for ingestion of human beings. I don't want it on my tomato. <laughs> sorry. It doesn't make any sense to me. And there are other things that we can do. What that's going to do is kill anything that lands on it. And it also works against fungi, which I've already given you another way to go with that one, haven't I? One part milk to 10 parts water. Put it in a nice little mister and go to town. It is, of course, better to do it early and preventative, but still. There are other things that you can use that don't cost as much money and work in a different way. Instead of killing everything that lands upon it, it works out better for me to go with repelling things that I don't want to land on it. For instance, y'all, rosemary oil. Oh my goodness. That works so wonderfully. Now, I don't have as much of the studies on this one or the research on this one as how it will repel things like aphids. I will tell you that I don't have any, (laughs) but I'm not a proper study. So, you know, go ahead and do your research. But the thing I love about it is when I've used it, that and peppermint oil, and if you really want to beat the band, combine them. I've noticed that it takes down my mosquito population, it takes down my aphids, it takes down, well, I don't even ever see white flies, spider mites, you get the idea. But here's this wonderful little thing over to the side that it does specifically with peppermint oil. It attracts bees. (laughs) They love it. So this isn't a poison that is meant to hurt them. This is a repellent that just so happens to be one of bees' most beloved smells on the planet. I mean, it's a win-win, am I right? So if you're going to do a rosemary oil or a peppermint oil, What you would do is consider about one drop of essential oil per every two ounces of water. Now, that's going to get into math. Good luck. (laughs) I've got mine written down on the side of my mister that I've got down in my little nursery. So I know exactly what to use there. But it's one drop per every two ounces. And then if you want to be really sure you're doing your job, like two, maybe three drops of dishwashing liquid and a 16 ounce water sprayer. And there you go. You got to make sure you shake that sucker up every time you use it, honey, because it has to get really emulsified and it should last you about two weeks. And you think about how much cheaper that's going to be too. Also, I've heard that Jehovah oil works really well for this, but I'm not growing Jehovah. (laughs) 
And for me, it's really neat to be able to create a spray that's something I'm growing here on the farm. So one of the things you can do is infuse your own rosemary repellent or peppermint repellent. It just takes a little bit longer. And also, y'all, I have in the past when I had a serious problem with powdery mildew on my cucumbers, if I take like two, maybe three tablespoons of apple cider vinegar and shake that into a gallon of water, that will help a lot too. By the way, if y'all are misting any of your plants, if you're doing anything like this to uh, fight off anything, do not do it in the middle of the day. You can burn the heck out of your plants. And honestly, in my neck of the woods, it gets too hot. The sun is just blazing down here. I won't even do it in the morning. I usually do it when the sun's like maybe thinking about becoming a sunset. And then I'll hit them really good. And then in the morning, they're ready to go. Also, just to be safe, if you're doing any of these methods, or even if you're buying something that's pre-mixed for you, always find a little underleaf, somebody who won't really matter that much, and do a test run on them. And if all goes well, you can do the whole plant. But all of this, you know, it just means to me, and it has meant this for a very long time, that we should not walk in the path of other folks without at least questioning their methodologies. Well, I don't know if you have to question them, but at least consider them. Do you know how they did their research? Are you clear about it? Have you double-checked a few of their facts? Y'all know before I get off of this section of the podcast, before I get too far away from gardening and, and, and that kind of thing, I do want to say that I have been of the mind that something was a wonderful thing to use and used it liberally. And most of the time it's because, well, I read it in one fun little social media post and it looked good. Or someone told me to do it, or it was in fashion. And to be in fashion with me, you've got to be organic and in touch with nature, and na na na. So there was one thing that I used that I really should have done more research upon. Now, I still have it, and I still use it for other issues, but no longer on my plants. And that is diatomaceous earth. And I'm sure y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've gardened at all, you've heard about the wonders of diatomaceous earth. D-E, as we like to call it, which is fully organic, made out of a single-celled algae from thousands of years ago that we dug up out of the... What matters here is that it's popular because it will just rip your insect population to bits. But that's just it. It doesn't care, nor does it discern who it's ripping. (laughs) That's an issue. You know, that's a serious issue. So just listen to me. Here are some of the little babies out there in my garden that DE will kill. Ladybugs, green lacewings, butterflies, bees, and praying manis. And that is the tiny little list of what it's going to take out. Mm-hmm. 
And now you're going to see a lot of folks talk about your garden and say, hey, it's okay to use neem and it's okay to use diatomaceous earth. Just don't do it, you know, in the middle of the day when all the bees are very busy out there. And so all we're hearing is, you know, it's okay as long as you don't do X. But for me and my researcher brain, I only hear because of X. What is X? Oh, well, that's um, mass death. <laughs> okay. The neem is going to suffocate your bee to death. And uh, the diatomaceous earth is going to rip the innards out of everybody else. So I don't know about y'all, but that didn't feel doable. That list of insects I just told you about are all critical for my farm. Critical. In fact, I was cutting salad the other day and I ran it in and I was getting ready to rinse it because even though it's under a high tunnel, it doesn't get any bird poop on it or whatever. At the same time, I don't know, you'd be surprised what you might find. I've um, run into spiders and a slug or two, so I don't want that in my salad. And there was this tiny, sweet little ladybug on the tip. And oh my gosh, I felt so bad. And I made my partner run her all the way back down to the high tunnel (laughs) and put her back where she goes. I mean, years ago when we moved out here, y'all, there weren't any ladybugs, at least that I saw. This place had been beaten up by that horrible chemical that I'm not going to mention by name that everyone uses to kill their weeds. Um, no. And just, it was horrible. They were dumping their trash out here. It was in a bad shape. And I ordered ladybugs, which by the way, you can do. (laughs) There's a lot of death involved, so always go to your local feed and seed and see what they can do for you. But those are working insects, ones that I have to have. So in addition to prevention, such as the uh, natural milk fungicide, and in addition to good pruning and good mulching practices and these uh, rosemary and peppermint. Oh, and by the way, anise is fun. Bees absolutely love anise. So in addition to preventatives and little home cures, I've got my insect family working for a living out here. My son took a picture a few years ago down in the high tunnel. It's the most interesting picture in the world. And it's just a praying mantis on one side of the wood panel and coming up right behind it, a wasp. (laughs) I don't know if it was a showdown or what was happening there, but I left it alone. Oh, one more thing. Back to the anise. You don't have to make an oil out of that, honey. You can grow that around everything. It repels aphids, and it's a wonderful host for predatory wasp, which we do need in the garden. And then also it camouflages the scent of things like brassicas, you know, your cabbages and such as that. And that's good. We want that scent camouflaged to keep all of their natural predators off of it. So companion planting also works really well. You know, I've told y'all that I plant nasturtiums and they're all around my tomatoes. And it's for the exact same reason. 
So the, there are all these wonderful processes, these, I guess, engagements we can make with our local environment that can be more pagan, honestly, be more caring about the earth and all of the creatures. Just because something is natural and organic doesn't make it uh, safe for you. I mean, honey, all those viruses, they were organic. And all mushrooms are edible, but as we know, some of them are only edible once. And they are natural and organic. So be careful with just going with that without doing your research. It may be popular, but are we sure that we're going to just walk in a herd? I think it's especially critical for witches to care about research and science. Ah, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Magic is science and science is magic. One of them has just not been proved out in a controlled experiment yet. <laughs> it's all the same thing to me. So a witch who's not willing to do that scientific study, I don't know. I mean, when I say study, though, I don't mean, you know, necessarily go back to college and get your master's degree. You know, you can still find peer-reviewed articles. You can still talk to your local master gardener association, by the way, if you do so. Please also check out what they're telling you. <laughs> ah, because they are usually going for the more popular opinion and not a lot of master gardeners, well, not a lot of them work with organic processes and care as much as like I do about the pollinators. So do kind of also check with them. You can call your local university. There's all kinds of places that you can go to to get ideas and help and learn on your own, honey. Just a little bit. And what does this have to do with anything? Well... We're all guilty of it from time to time, so I'm not calling out anybody in particular. However, which is that keep learning, keep seeking, keep pushing themselves in this manner. They thrive, but more importantly, they adapt so they can thrive for another day. And it's heartbreaking to me to see a witch who won't do that kind of work. And we really mustn't think because something has been put into a book or on a sparkly website, that that makes it proven fact, or that it's even based in, well, anything other than a personal tradition or lore, which is all wonderful and fine. I guess I've always really dug the excitement of taking something like, for instance, farmer lore, something that has been mythologized for years and years and years, and then gone and done the scientific research behind it and found damn good cause for why that worked. Y'all, one of the things that has driven me the most crazy has been this idea, especially in the craft and in some of the books you might find or on websites or whatever, folks talking about whether or not a rock or stone is useful in elemental magic, for instance, let's see, water. Why a stone might be useful for that? Simply because of its color. Oh, I mean, we have got to do better than that. It's like I told a student the other night. Now, if you picked opal, 
I could understand that. I mean, there's more than opal, but not only does it make sense, you know, color-wise, which never really, I never really held a lot of truck with aesthetics when it comes to real magic. I want it to work. If it looks pretty, then that's an extra. But opal is composed of a heavy amount of water. (laughs) It has water within its composition. I get it, you know. Garnet makes sense to me for fire. I mean, my gosh, do you know the processes that make a garnet? (laughs) Ah, this makes complete sense. And then, you know, the red color is just, you know, it's an added benefit. But we can't be mindless about our craft. I get it. I love the witch aesthetic too. I love it so much. Honey, nothing's going to stop my scrolling any quicker than a little witch cottage core. You feel me? I'm in. And eventually, I want my whole house to look like that. However, when it comes to my actual craft, do y'all know what I mean by that? That thing. I care much more that it work than look pretty. I guess that makes me a bit of a dirty witch, doesn't it? (laughs) I reckon it does. Because, you know, the picture of me standing in a creek with my feet in that running water and my hands up in the air, cleansing, rejuvenating, finding my peace, finding that new way to go. And I'm not going to get into any kind of spell here, but that picture, if I were to take it, it wouldn't look like it should on social media. First of all, how the hell am I taking it? Uh Uh-huh. So I'm not. Either I've set up the camera to take it or I've got a photographer. Am I really in that moment? Mm, I don't think that was a candid shot. And then if I painted my toenails in some delightful black or purple or blood red, you know, all of our witchiness, just for that photo that maybe zoomed down on my feet that are hanging on to those cute little river rocks, was that real? And are my fingernails all perfectly cleaned and manicured and my lipstick is just so, y'all, I love the aesthetic, but that is not the real craft. I'm getting to a place where we're going to tie it all together. Don't you worry, honey. Because in all actuality, two months ago for my birthday, my coven girls took me to get my toes did. (laughs) And it's half grown out. Now... (laughs) I've got them clipped, nice and short. I hate a long toenail. Ugh. But it's still on there. And my fingernails, even though I've washed my hands twice today and even brushed them, there's still a lot, little bit of soil or dirt underneath them on the left and the right. And my lipstick has not been put on yet today. And I'm fairly sure this is last night's mascara. <laughs> And, oh, y'all, I think it's been two weeks since I shaved my legs. I've seen these pictures of folks, you know. It's a celebrity I'm thinking of right now who takes photos of herself lying down in her bed with her eyes closed to try to show a hard day or deep pain. And because I am this researcher that I told you about, I can't stop thinking about what's behind the scenes. And I can just see, and you can even see part of her arm, holding that camera up in the air, holding that phone probably. And she is affecting. She is affecting. 
It is not real. It is posed. It is, ugh, I don't know, millennial gothic core, which is cool. I like that too. (laughs) It's still not real. It's still not real. Now, when it comes to the craft, y'all, well, I'm either preaching to the choir or you're really pissed off at me. I'm not quite sure which way you'll land, but it has to be fucking real. And this is why I'm not making, you know, tons out there on Insta. (laughs) I'm not making anything. (laughs) I'm barely over there. Because I'm not going to worry about that. You know, it's uh, slices of a real life. So let's talk about what in the hell that has to do with everything I just told you about staying away from things that may look natural, may even be natural and organic, but y'all can still very much hurt you. All right. Last night, one of my coven daughters, I guess, I don't know how to put that. She's quickly becoming one of my best friends was out here and she couldn't make it to the first provocation lesson of last Monday. So I created a special one for her. And I was super tired, so I definitely wasn't my mystical southern fried, you know. There was no pomp, there was no circumstance, there was no extra shenanigans going on out here. It was just, I'm a tired witch today, (laughs) and I can impart this knowledge to you and spend time with you, but I don't have much else past that today. I'm just tired. And that's real. That's authentic. And she needs to know that witches are not always on their damn game. I'm sorry, y'all. I know they're just making a living out there. And it just commercialized witchcraft chaps my ass. I'm sorry. I don't like it. So let me try to get my angry voice under control here. I was bitching to her about not being able to do more on social media. I was bitching to her because I really do want to get to a place where I can write my book. Hang in there. I've got half done and I need to finish. And we were trying to generate those ideas. We were trying to figure out how I could pop off more on Instagram and do more videos and be more sparkly. Just fucking anything so I could get down to the nitty gritty of finishing this badass book. Because it's going to take money. And that's when it hit me. We came up with a lot of ideas. We did. But then all of a sudden, I realized that I was trying to make the world work so I would have more time to write this book. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a tough ass and I'm going to have to pull up my grandma britches and I got to write the book no matter what. And that means I may have to stay up late. It may mean that I can't watch TV. It may mean, you know, not as much sleep. Um, but it will also mean that the damn thing will get done. You know, I look back to the early 2000s when I was getting my doctoral degree and my master's. But, you know, the doctoral is the one that kicked my butt. And I had kids and I had a full-time job and I was writing a 240-page manifesto. <laughs> And I got it done. I was younger, but I might could get that done again. You see, what I don't want to do is follow the path of what I see primarily on social media. Now, I'm not talking about any of the friends I've had on the show. I'm not talking about any of the people that I consider dear. You know what I mean. 
witch core, the beautiful, brilliant witch core that most often has nothing to do with a daily life or an actual spell someone's done or the struggles, the interior struggles that a witch might have to go through. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. But honey bunny, it'll put some money on your table. That's popular. It might even be natural and it might be organic. And it's what everybody's doing for the most part. I'd say a good 80%. But you know what that's going to kill? That's going to kill all my butterflies in me. All my butterflies and all my bees and all my pollinators that are in my creative heart. It's going to kill them all. It's going to kill them all for the sake of a dollar. And I don't know. Yeah, I do know why I can't go that route. So it does make it harder. (laughs) It makes it much harder what I'm going to have to do to get where I need to go. But it doesn't make any sense for me to kill the bee to keep the flower. And the bee, why? I'm pretty sure she can pollinate a whole lot more creativity if I let her. So I reckon I've decided to go the hard way. And hopefully I'll end up with a field of flowers. So if I leave you with nothing else in the entire world, it would just be about your garden. It would be about doing your own research, backing up your own ideas. And at the end of the day, it could end up helping the earth. And that is one of my big concerns as a witch and as a pagan. But if you did look at your own life and you asked yourself, am I only doing what's expected? Is this the road that everyone takes? And so that is the one I'm taking. And you haven't ever thought about anything, I mean, alternatively, other ways to make you happy that aren't the accepted road. I've decided to, you know, go ahead and die on this hill because it's a damn fine hill. (laughs) It's a nice hill. And I've got all these wonderful butterflies around me. And I can eat whatever I grow without worrying about poisoning myself. And everything has become everything in my life. It may not be aesthetically perfect. There may be black spots on my roses. But honey, have you tried my tea? (laughs) It's delightful and uh, will not kill you. So I do think it's important for us to start thinking about aesthetics. I think that they can be fun. I think they can be a lot of fun. And I know how much I love the beauty of art. But a messy, real non-perfect witchcraft one that it's just you know the heartbeat of that sucker's just go into town and you're deeply enmeshed in the processes of your craft that matters just as much I think it matters more than how pretty it all turned out because just like everything that is natural and organic is not necessarily good for you the same goes for pretty bat children Not everything that turns your head is even real. Go watch The Wizard of Oz again. Y'all need to start looking behind curtains, especially if you're listening to anyone out there, including me, and not researching. Don't do it. Never stop learning. Never stop adapting. Take the pretty fucking picture, baby. But don't forget to actually live that. All right, that's enough. Y'all, if you want to look through any of the research I've done today, I didn't note all of it. It was way too much. But I've been doing this for a very long time, and I went and found backup for you, and it'll be in the episode notes. 
Also, I do want to thank Riley, my new listener of this week. I appreciate your support so much over on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, which is my only support for this podcast, the only way I can stay on the air at all, and y'all are getting just me 24-7, if you'd like to actually meet me in person, I'm doing a Bat Children Ball here in Alabama, October 27th, 28th, and 29th. Any active patron that remains active, you know, that you have to remain active (laughs) all the way to October, is automatically allowed to buy a ticket. However, we are getting very close to our cutoff limit for that. To grow past that and add 10 more folks, maybe even 15 more folks, I'll have to pay more money. And my patrons have known about it and they've already bought tickets. We're already excited about classes. And of course, I will be camping with y'all. And it is rustic. It's camping. Anyone joining at the $25 and up level, though, just until we hit that 10 maximum. So there's only 10 more tickets available for that. Anyone joining at the 25 and up that remains static all the way to October will get a deal on the whole thing. At $25 a month, you'll get half off your ticket, which is $150 for the weekend. And at 50 and up, you get a free pass for the whole weekend. That's only available for that 10 and nothing else. And Hagcraft Farm is going to be here from the swamps of Virginia. Very excited about that. She's going to be staying with us. And let me tell you a little bit about her work because we've got some new collections going on. Y'all, Hagcraft Farm has a brand new collection coming out. And the theme is divine. They've created a specifically southern coastal gothic collection. Think like pirate and merfolk and seafaring swamp hag of the lowlands. The colorways are going to be pride themed and jewel tones with a lot of smoky blacks and browns as well to really kick off that lowland pirate feel. It's a completely curated collection that will only be around for a few months. And y'all, my favorite thing that they do over there is their adventuring dress. It is so versatile. What's important to Highcraft Farm is that everything be like this. Everything have a serious usability and utility to it. And that's my favorite thing about this dress, y'all. It lays out flat like a blanket. And Leanne over at Highcraft really wants you to use it like that. (laughs) She's told me. Folks are so in love with their dresses and their cloaks and they don't want to do anything else with them but hang them in a pretty corner. That was not the intention of this. The quality and the wearability of what Hatcraft Farm is making can be used, can be washed, can be rugged. They only get cooler. They only get more beautiful with wear. This is made for anybody. The shoulders are wide and the sleeves and cuffs are oversized and it drapes and falls. So go check out this collection as it hits, y'all. Right now, Hagcraft Farm is running their Hagcraft Cult Contest over on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. First place is going to be her $275 black adventuring dress in your size. What a dream. Oh my gosh, I love mine. 
And second place is a $200 e-gift card. By the way, these never expire. Third place is a $100 gift card. And all you have to do is follow those rules exactly to the letter and enter. The winner's going to be announced on June 11th at 4 p.m. So y'all need to kind of run. Get on this as fast as you can go. So make sure you run over and join. It's definitely a worthy endeavor. I only want to be cloaked in Hackraft Farm for the rest of my life. If that's all I wore, y'all, I would be happy. I never thought I could wear certain things because, you know, menopause does have its way with you and your body changes and not with Hackraft Farm. Everything is meant to actually grow with you and supports all bodies. It's a dream. I stand behind their mission. I love how she really works to create clothing that makes you feel beautiful and magical. And she does it for all bodies and supports queer folk. And it matters to me that my clothing is coming from a place like that and a witch, a hag swamp witch. That makes me very, very happy altogether. Anyway, do go check out this new collection. Don't forget to enter in the contest and come over to Patreon. I'm Southern Fried Witch over there. And see if there's a tier you might want to join to help support the podcast and possibly meet me in October in the woods of Alabama. We're going to have so much fun. All right, I'm out of here. Love y'all like chicken. Talk to you next week. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.